Hey, we're going to uh, jump into Life in Reverse, uh, the series that we've been going to. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, find Matthew 3. Find Matthew 3. The whole idea that we've been uh, going with here on this uh, Life in Reverse, we've been studying Jesus' life from his resurrection or like his second birth all the way back to next Sunday when we'll uh, talk about the, the Christmas story, the story of Jesus being born. And so today we're going to look at uh, the story of Jesus being baptized. And the reason we're doing this is because we, we're, we're noticing that if we look at the way that Jesus began with the end in mind, he lived his life knowing what the end was going to be like, and he made all these choices anyway, maybe it could inspire us to think about how we might live our lives in reverse. What does it look like to, to begin our day, our week, our month, our life with the end in mind? Where we want to end up, what we want to, what we want to do for Christ. And so uh, that's kind of the, the spirit of life in reverse. And um, uh, it's been really cool to see that kind of come into reality here at the Christmas season. Um, uh, the kids that, that um, Anessa talked about, some of the families, y'all, we got something to celebrate. There have been more than 80 kids who have um, been able to have Christmas with their families because of this body of believers here at Christ Community. Isn't that awesome? 80 kids who have uh, been able to celebrate that. Now, here's the thing. Uh, you know me, I like a challenge. Uh, I like to celebrate, but I like a challenge. So there's one more card over there. There's one more card that we need to get taken care of. So one last chance on that. Um, I also saw uh, just last night... Uh, Christine posted or was tagged in a post. Uh, there was a group that had done uh, these capes, capes of courage, and uh, such a cool note that came with that. These capes that were made for for uh, some children from by a group here at Christ Community. It was awesome to to see that. And um, there's even one other opportunity that we've just learned of. Uh, there's a family that's getting ready to move into some transitional housing here in Shelbyville, and uh, tonight from six to nine, tomorrow night from six to nine. Uh, we have an opportunity to go and, and paint that and get it ready for a family to move in. Y'all, can you imagine moving into a new house uh, the week before Christmas, transitional housing like that? We have a great opportunity to show these folks the love of Christ, uh, to, to show them what Christmas is really all about. And so um, uh, after the gathering today, uh, Pam Winninger is going to be at the corner of the coffee bar, and you can get more details on how you might, uh, might do that. It's a way to live life in reverse, right? Uh, to give rather than to uh, always be receiving. And so uh, we're excited about that. And uh, we're also excited about uh, continuing to study Jesus' story in this. So Matthew chapter 3, just a few verses that we're going to read together, and then we're going to pray and ask that God would speak to us from his word. Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that today uh, we would hear from you about this man, your son, that brought you joy, Jesus Christ. We pray that we would um, just grasp his story, 
his, his story of sacrificial love, of love that uh, is eternal, is everlasting, and, and is just unstoppable, a love that is for us. And so, God, we pray that as we realize that we are loved by the one true king, that we are loved by this, uh, this little baby that came. God, may we be inspired to, to love others as you have loved us. And may we know that um, we have confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, um, I was out and about running some errands, and it was lunchtime, and so it was, it was time to get lunch, and you know that process that I, maybe I'm like an overthinker. I'm an overanalyzer. My, my brain is going a million miles a minute, so I'm trying to decide where am I going to get lunch, and I decided to go to Dairy Queen. So I'm going to the, the drive-thru at Dairy Queen. I'm going to get the five-buck lunch, which is a great deal, right? I love it. You can get like a, a main thing, fries. You get the little Sunday and a drink. Like you get the Sunday, right? You get like all these things for five bucks. And uh, so I get the five buck chicken strip lunch, okay? And then I go about eating my lunch. I'm by myself, which means my brain's running a million miles a minute. I'm thinking too much. And I'm like, I don't even buy this lunch. I don't, I don't get the chicken strip lunch for the chicken strips. I'm not even the Sunday. I mean, the Sunday is still just ice cream. I get the five buck chicken strip lunch. For the gravy. I mean, am I right? Like, that is the best fast food gravy that money can buy. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm literally having this conversation in my head. Right? I'm, like, I'm like dipping my fries in the gravy, and I'm thinking, I'm just eating the gravy. That's all I want to do. And, uh, and I'm like, they should, this, this is going, this is for real going on in my head. Like, they should just call this the gravy five-buck lunch. Right? Like, I just, I want five bucks for the gravy. And then, then here's the next thought that goes with me. These are just mediocre chicken strips. Who has the best chicken strips in town? Zaxby's. Zaxby's has the best chicken strips in town. So I'm like, I'm, I'm envisioning this. I could go to Zaxby's. I could buy the best chicken strips in town. I could come back, get the five-buck gravy lunch, and dip Zaxby's chicken strips in Dairy Queen gravy. I mean, can you imagine that with me? Like, some of you are salivating right now, I know. Jeff Ware is with me. He's like, let's do this. Uh, if you want to get lunch afterwards, my whole family is sick, so maybe we can do Zagsby's and Dairy Queen gravy. I don't know. <laughs> but as I thought about this, right, and uh, I'm in the throes of, like, thinking about a sermon in the middle of all this, and somehow in my weird brain, like, chicken strips and gravy get mixed up with Jesus getting baptized. I'm not sure how it works. But I realized this. I was settling for mediocre Dairy Queen chicken strips. Like, I wasn't going to actually go drive to Zaxby's and get chicken strips and then get gravy. I was settling for mediocre chicken strips because what I really wanted was the gravy, right? That's what I really wanted was the Dairy Queen gravy. And I began to think about this parallel. And I began to think about the fact that when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to the, the things that we want to be, the things that we want to do for Christ, uh, the, the person, the people that we want to, to impact uh, for Christ, we will settle for a mediocre spiritual life, just like I settled for those mediocre chicken strips. Because there's something, it's hard to put our finger on, but there's something that we really want more, if we're honest with ourselves, than a great spiritual life. What is that? 
And as I read this passage and I thought about that and I thought about uh, who we are as a group of, of believers, I realized that it was our earthly power. That looks different for each of us, right? You're, you're maybe thinking, I'm not a powerful person. I don't, I don't have a lot of influence, but, but we all have power in some area of our lives. And, and I got to thinking that just like I settled for mediocre chicken strips because I really wanted the Dairy Queen gravy, many of us, myself included, will settle for a mediocre spiritual life because we really want earthly power. That's what we really want. We don't have the end in mind. We don't have the, the end goal of being with Christ in heaven in mind. So we settle spiritually a lot. And when we do that, we, we get really used to uh, just kind of putting spiritual progress off to the side. We justify who, who we are, maybe something that we've already done, and we said, well, I've, I've, I've kind of checked that box as a Christian. And we put spiritual progress off to the side. I heard a guy speaking this week on a podcast. Uh, he was a dad, and um, he was talking about uh, just this bedtime encounter with his 15-year-old son, which, number one, kudos that he's still having, like, meaningful conversations with his 15-year-old son at bedtime. But he was talking about his son. He, he's a believer. His son is, is trying to figure out, like, he feels called to, to do something for the kingdom of God. Uh, he's, he's, he's ready to go. He's ready to do something. He's walking with Jesus. And so the conversation's revolving around his son's gifts this one night. And, and son, what are you going to be in the kingdom? What, you know, what, are you, what are you looking forward to? And they're talking about all this. And he said, the, the, the dad stopped and he said, this is what I looked at him. And I said, I was getting so excited for him. And I said, son, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in and through your life. He is, son, he's just going to do some incredible things. I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to tell my kids that, right? I, I cannot wait to see and he said, my 15-year-old son snapped back at me really quick. And he said, Dad, why do we have to wait? Why do we have to wait? I want to do exciting things in my spiritual life now. Like, it, the Holy Spirit is living inside of me now. Why settle is, is what he's asking, right? And I realized, man, too often I'm like that dad. I'm like, oh, God's going to do something big at some point. But we're called to be people of action. We're called to be people that are outsiders, change, change makers. So why is it that we so often feel trapped in these patterns of waiting? Why is it that we feel like we have to settle for whatever God has us in the middle of now? Maybe we can learn something then from the crowds of people that would have been gathered around John and, and were there to see Jesus' baptism. Maybe we can put ourselves in their shoes for just a minute and think about what it is that, that they were witnessing. You see, masses of people who had grown up being taught that were just waiting around on the Messiah are now drawn into every word and action of this young leader named John. The, the story, the narrative of their entire lives had been to wait. For, for hundreds of years, generations of people have been just saying, wait, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And now John's leadership had, had brought together this group of people who are super hungry spiritually. They're like, God is going to do something. We're ready. We want to be people of action. And people were responding to that. And what that led to is this crowd of people that, that were following John. And, and, and that meant that John had a lot of power. John had a group of people that were ready to, to, when he said jump, they were saying, how high? John had come out of nowhere. He'd started preaching in the wilderness, and people are flocking to him. People are coming out of the woodwork because he's taking action on this promised Messiah that they had been told about for generations. There, I mean, people were eating this up. They were ready to go. 
You know, last week, Dave Sullivan uh, preached in this series, and he had a quote that, man, I just loved. I wrote it down. I tweeted it. I did all the things I could do to it so that I wouldn't forget it. And it simply said this, obedience never skips the cost. With the end in mind, it endures them. Obedience never skips the cost. With the end in mind, it endures them. I thought that was so powerful because, you see, our initial actions after deciding to take action, after getting excited about what we're going to do with our faith, are almost always difficult to actually take. We decide to act, but then actually acting typically brings up some some difficulties. And when we face those difficulties, we, we begin to settle, right? That's when the settling comes in. We settle for these mediocre spiritual lives to maintain our earthly power, our earthly comfort. Those are those, those moments where we see how much faith we, we really have. And the people in the crowd that day, they were on this dangerous tipping point. And truth be told, right? Truth be told, many of us are probably there too. You see, we've been told to repent and to be baptized. We've been told to have faith, to read our Bibles more. We've been told that there are these boxes that we have to check to become the kind of Christian that we're supposed to be or that culture says. That to do a certain thing, you're going to have to be this. And so in our heads, we've decided to take action. We've decided to to maybe be better or to improve those things. And we don't want to wait to do them. But then when it really gets to that moment of acting, We settle because of the difficulty. But here's the thing. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we don't want to to settle for a second-rate relationship with Christ. We don't want to do that. Tinley, uh, my my daughter, last Christmas was kind of like the first Christmas, uh, first winter that she really understood the concept of sledding. And so we'd been talking about going sledding, you know, all the way leading up to snow, and the first snow comes that's sledable, and she is pumped. Like, she's just asking nonstop, and I hate the cold, so I'm, like, putting it off all that I can. So we get her all in the, you know, like, we get her bundled up. We, we head out to the hill, and, like, we get to the top of the hill. She has decided that she is going sledding, and then she sees the hill, right? And, like, fear strikes in her face, and instead of enjoying sledding, Dad is, like, dragging her down the hill with her, right? Like, you're going to enjoy this. We got bundled up and everything. And I think too often that moment is a picture of our spiritual lives, right? We get ourselves amped up. We get excited about what Christ is going to do with us. We get excited about what we might be able to do. And then we get to the edge of the hill and we're like, uh-uh, I am not going there. What does that look like? What if somebody told you today that your next step in your faith was to actually lead someone else to Christ? Not just bring them to church, not just invite them, not just whatever, but to actually teach them who Christ is as their Lord and Savior. You're like, oh yeah! And then it comes to that moment, you're like, oh, I'm not sure I know what to say. Uh, And then we begin to justify it by actions that we've already taken, right? See, well, I've, I've already been baptized, so I'm good. Thank goodness. What if somebody said, you know, maybe your next step uh, is to lead a community group. Like there are people around you that don't know Christ or that don't have community. And, and God is moving in you to lead a community group. And you're like, well, I've done the whole group thing and I'm not sure I have time for that in this season. Right? Amped up, you know it's something you could do, maybe you should do, but uh, 
the actual action is going to cost me more time, ability, resources, power than I want to give up? What if your next step was not just serving, but actually going out and discovering a need in our community that you're uniquely positioned to meet? Figuring out how to meet that. And you justify and say, well, I served on the last Love Shelbyville day, and that should be enough. <laughs> you see, when we fall into this, this weird zone, this attitude, we're all settling for this mediocre spirituality. When in reality, God has created each of us uniquely with gifts and abilities that, that we're supposed to be unleashing into our community and into the kingdom of God. And our attitude about following Jesus, our attitude about being a member of this local church, of Christ's community, it shouldn't be one of settling. It should be one that's asking, what's next? Where, where do we go from here? Now what? And the crowds were in a similar spot, right? They had responded the best way that they knew how up to this moment. They're, they're, they're in this moment, and, and all of a sudden, the, the one person that they've been waiting hundreds of years on, Jesus, walks onto the scene and like, this is it. He is here. What's going to happen? John and Jesus are in the water. They're asking, what happens next? I don't want to wait. I don't want to settle. Now what? And so the question is, is, what does a life lived in reverse do, right? If Jesus lived this life that was counter to culture, if he lived this life that, that completely flipped the world upside down, what's he going to do in this moment? Because whatever he does in this moment with, with the whole world watching is going to tell us how we should be living. And here's the thing. The life in reverse dies first. Death is at the end. You have to die to live. You have to live to be born. And that's exactly the picture that we get as John and Jesus interact here in the waters of the Jordan River. These two, these two guys in these, these few verses are falling over themselves to submit to one another. Neither one of them using their, their power against one another. There's no pretense. There's no self-serving agenda. They're just two guys with an eternal focus. Two guys who are more worried about the end game than, than the power that could be gained in this moment. They have a focus on heaven. They're dying to themselves. The life in reverse dies first. And there's a couple of reasons that we can know this to be true as we look at this passage. Number one is simply this. John immediately, immediately gave up the power that he had accumulated. All these people who had come and were following him and were hanging on his every last word, were waiting on them to tell him what to do. When, when Jesus came, John immediately gave up the power he accumulated. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. It says, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? You know, John could have skirted right past the fact that this was Jesus. He could have just baptized him and acted as though he were just another guy who wanted to repent and to be baptized, like the hundreds who had come before him. He could have maintained his position of power, right? He could have done that. He could have maintained his status, but he didn't. John immediately gave up the power that he accumulated by recognizing Jesus and giving up his right to baptize him in front of the people. Can you remember uh, the first time that your parents uh, gave you the keys to the car? Do you remember that moment? How about the first time that you were allowed to go on a date? Anybody remember that moment? 
Do you remember when you first moved out of your parents' house or you had the power to uh, uh, choose your own adventure, you might say? Maybe it was when you went to college. I don't know. Do you remember those moments where, where somebody first gave you some power? How did you use that power in those moments? The first time that you got to go out on a date. The first time that you got the keys to the car. Maybe the better question is, how did you abuse the power that was given to you in those moments? You see, when we make a decision to to give our lives to Christ, he gives to us an incredible amount of power through something called the Holy Spirit. God is is one God in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, And right before Jesus, God the Son, left earth, He said this to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive, what's that say? Power. Try that again. But you will receive, there we go, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when you believe and God makes his presence known in you, it gives you power. You have power. I'm reminded also of 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. You see, when you, uh, when you believe in Jesus, you're given power via the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you power through, through gifts, through abilities. He helps you pray when you don't know what to say. He helps you to understand God's word. He gives you strength to make it through tough days and seasons of life. And the question is the same as the question of all those other moments in our life where we're given power. Are you using the power that the Holy Spirit has given to you, or are you abusing the power that God has given you through the Holy Spirit? John immediately gave up the power that he had been given. But that's not the only thing that testifies to a life in reverse that dies first. More than that, John and Jesus trusted each other. They trusted each other. And trust is huge. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, but Jesus said, it should be done. Right? John has asked the question, why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. John asked why. He gave up his power, but he wanted to know why, right? Like, just help me to understand why. And Jesus gives the most Sunday school, churchy answer you ever could give. Well, it should be done. God said so, right? Can you imagine, you, you hate those moments when, when somebody says to you, well, you're going to do it because I said so. But that's essentially the answer that John just got. And he does it, right? He follows through. He, he does it with full trust. You see, trust only happens when you're able to remove your personal agenda from the conversation. Trust happens when, when both parties are about doing what's right in the eyes of God. That's when they're, they're most concerned about that as opposed to being concerned about themselves. But before we place John on this pedestal that he, he doesn't want to be on, let's not forget Jesus, right? Jesus lets John baptize him. Jesus didn't have to give way to John's leadership. He didn't, he didn't even have any sins to repent of, right? But, but he's there. Uh, Jesus, he, 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 he wants to die. He wants to live a life in reverse for you. And before Jesus went to be tempted by Satan, before he healed people, before he told people about the good news, before he died on the cross, he died to himself in the waters of baptism. And even this, even this one small act in these few verses, Jesus did for you. See, Jesus, he didn't have to be baptized. He was God. But because God said so, he did it. 
You see, it was Jesus' ability to do the right thing, to do what God said, to fulfill righteousness, as some uh, translations say, for his entire lifetime, to always do the right thing that made him the perfect sacrifice for you. Jesus didn't do the right thing just because it was the right thing. He did it for you so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for you. It's the little moments like these in Jesus' story that remind us that we can always trust God. And when you make the decision, like Jesus did, to be baptized, you're making a decision to trust him more than you trust yourself. You're making a decision to give up any power that you have accumulated here on this earth if God asks you to. You're making a decision to die to yourself so that the new you can live forever with Jesus. You're making a decision to join Jesus in being active with your faith, to not get stuck and, and not settle spiritually. You don't want to be someone who checks boxes or sits on the sideline waiting for someone to tell you what to do because you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You have the power of God to use and not to abuse. And so if you want to live a life in reverse, a life that's counter to culture, a life that doesn't look the same as everyone else's, a life that makes a difference, you're going to have to die first too. What does that look like? This week in churches all around the world, <clears throat> uh, they're celebrating a lady, a couple of ladies, but one lady named Lottie Moon. Lottie uh, lived in the 1800s, and she rebelled against Christianity. I don't know if there's anybody that can identify with that in their story. But she rebelled against Christianity until she was in college. And in December of 1858, she dedicated her life to Christ, and she was baptized. Now, her, her older sister, uh, she was appointed as a missionary to Tingchao, China in 1872, okay? And the following year, Lottie was appointed and joined her sister there. When she set sail for China, Lottie was 32 years old, 32. And at that point in her life, she had already turned down a marriage proposal. She'd left her job. She'd left her home. She'd left her family to follow God's lead. To follow God's lead. That's not somebody who's settling for a mediocre spiritual life. Her path wasn't typical because she was this educated woman from the wealthy South. She was not supposed to be giving up everything to go to China. But God had gripped her with the Chinese people's need for a savior. So for 39 years, Lottie labored uh, mainly in Tingchao, China. And, and it was interesting because people feared her. They rejected her, right? She wasn't one of them, but she refused to leave. It was uh, often said that the aroma of fresh-baked cookies would draw people to her house. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And she adopted traditional Chinese dress. She learned China's language and customs. And, and Lottie didn't just serve the people of China. She, she identified with them. And, and many eventually accepted her as, as one of them. And some of them accepted her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ as their Savior, Jesus Christ. She, uh, she once wrote home to the Foreign Mission Board, please say to the new missionaries that they are coming to a life of hardship, responsibility, and constant self-denial. She died at age 72. She was ill and declining in health after decades in China. But here's what's cool. Her legacy lives on. We're still talking about her today, right? But we're, we're doing way more than talking about her. 
You see, while she was in China, Lottie began to write letters back to America. And these letters were challenges to the church in America. Challenges that said, we need more support over here. We need more missionaries over here. There are so many people that have no clue who Jesus is that need to know about him. Can you imagine getting a letter from someone who'd given up everything in their life saying, please join me? I just want to challenge you to join me. And out of those letters have risen something called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. This began back in the late 1800s, and to this, this day, it's an offering that, that is taken up at Christmas time, and it supports international missionaries all around the world. Christ Community has uh, participated in this offering for uh, the, the, its first six years of existence. And uh, actually, tomorrow morning, our pastor elders will get together, and uh, it's one of our favorite meetings because it's end-of-year giving. We just write checks to people that need checks. It's awesome. And um, you can join us uh, in that by giving in the back today or online at loveshelvyville.com slash give. But Lottie Moon is a picture of what it looks like to not settle spiritually. She's a picture of what it looks like to, to live a life in reverse that dies first. And I wanted to read to you a part of the, the first letter that she wrote that pioneered this idea. And it revolved around the idea of why she wanted the, the offering to be at Christmas. She said, need it be said... Why the week before Christmas is chosen is not the festive season when families and friends exchange gifts in memory of the gift laid on the altar of the world for the redemption of the human race, the most appropriate time to consecrate a portion from abounding riches and scant poverty to send forth the good tidings of great joy into all the earth. That's a pretty big vision. Way back in the 1800s, Lottie Moon set forth a vision that would help the gospel go to places that it never would have ever gone. Lottie Moon would never have known the impact that her life would have on nations of people for generations to come if she had not given up what she had. And it's that idea that helps us to understand our application for today. What does it look like to live a life in reverse? It looks like sacrifice. You will never know what you can have until you give up what you do have. Let me say that again. You will never know what you can have until you give up what you do have. Jesus gave up his power. John gave up his power in the midst of all these people looking for some great leader to follow. Lottie Moon gave up everything that her parents had, had done for her to be a missionary to China. And, and those people, they never knew what they could have until they gave up what they had. I love the picture of this uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You will never know what you can have until you give up what you do have. So how do you figure out what that looks like? 
How do you tangibly wrap your head around what you, what you can give up to be more like Christ? There's two questions that you need to answer if you're going to live a life in reverse that die first. Number one is this. What do you have? What do you have? Here's a quick way to figure out what you have. Fill in the blank. This is my... Because when we put something in that blank, we've declared ownership of it, right? And so maybe you're thinking materially, you're thinking physically, maybe you're thinking something like, this is my car, this is my house, this is my jacket. But there's so much more to us than our physical belongings, right? Material belongings. There's also emotions and spirituality. And so maybe you're saying, this is my life. This is my cross to bear. This is my wound. This is my story, my experience. This is my heart. This is my faith. What is it that you have? What do you have? You have to answer that first. Question number two is this. What will you give away? You see, the sentence doesn't change that much. This is my blank to give away. This is my life to give away. This is my story to give away. I've been given these things to give them away. Because you never know what you can have until you give away what you do have. On the chairs around you, there's communication cards, right? And on the back of those things, there's some really practical next steps. And, and I want to bridge these ideas with some of the practical things that you hear us talking about all the time at Christ Community. We're tempted to let these things move by us, right? We hear about them all the time. But oftentimes, these are the things that we know we need, and we get to the top of the hill like Tinley did, and we're like, uh-uh, not me, right? Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. What are you holding on to that's keeping you from letting Jesus lead you to a new life? Because here's the reality, right? There are people here today who have been in church, they've been around church all their lives. Maybe they've even said the prayer, they've walked down the aisle, they've raised their hand. I don't know that they've said they've accepted Christ. But don't let that be confused with giving your life to Him. Don't let that be confused with giving your life to Him. Deciding in your heart and your mind to give your life to Christ without any agenda, without any expectation. Jesus, I want to give you all of who I am. Have you done that? Have you actually taken that next step? Maybe you've checked the box, but have you actually taken that next step? Maybe it's for you, it's baptism. Have you really died to yourself or are you still holding on to some earthly power? Baptism is what follows our belief, our, our sacrifice of life. It isn't a fast pass to heaven. It's not just another box to check, right? It's not fire insurance. It's something you do when you've decided, not your parents, not anybody else has decided, when you've decided to follow Jesus, to, to actively continue to figure out what it means to to know Jesus more, to, to keep going outside the gates with him. I want to call your attention to, to one specifically, one more, and it's, it's start a community group. You know, I was talking with Wes Keene this week about our community groups at Christ Community, and he asked a great question. He was like, why would you not lead a community group? I thought, man, that's good, right? If you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you know people in your circle of influence that don't know Christ, that don't have community, why would you not lead a community group? Community groups are designed for you to get together with people, believers and non-believers, and figure out how you can help them take one step toward Jesus. Maybe they've just got a doubt that they, they need addressed. Maybe, maybe they're trying to figure out how to get past this one roadblock. One step 
Can you help someone take one step in their faith journey this week? That's what a community group is about. And it's these environments that give you the space for that action. Don't settle spiritually. Take action. Your action may range from making the decision that you're coming back to church next week to, I feel like God may be asking me to go be an international missionary like Lottie Moon. We don't need to compare. We just need to move. And maybe you're like me, right? And you're thinking this, why in the world would I want to do any of these things? I don't have time, number one. I don't feel qualified, number two. And uh, I don't have time, number three, right? That's what's going on in our heads. Why would we do it? And the end of this passage helps us to understand why. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. You see, when we give away what we have, God tells us who we are. When we give away what we have, God tells us who we are. When Jesus gave away his power, when he submitted to the leadership of John, when he decided to to follow the leadership of his heavenly father, to be baptized and to follow the plan that God had to save his children, in that moment, God shows up in all of his glory. The Father, God the Father is there. God the Son is there. God the Holy Spirit is there. They're all appearing at once. And, And you hear the voice say, this is my Son. That's who I am, who brings me great joy. And God wants to do the same thing for us. He wants to give us identity and purpose. He wants to speak into who we are uniquely created to be. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The word for masterpiece here is poema. It's where we get our word for poem. And I can remember learning to write the simplest of poems in elementary school, right? We, finding words that rhyme, uh, making sure that the phrases matched up, squishing and squeezing, rearranging until this perfect mix of story and creativity and structure came out. And the question is, will we give ourselves to Jesus and let him work that same process out in us? Because when we give away what we have, God tells us who we are. So what do you have? Two questions, right? What do you have and what will you give away? Because this Christmas, Jesus has shown us that the life in reverse dies first. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being a sacrifice. And God, thank you for being a good, good father that was willing to give up your son, to send him so that you could be with us. God, this Christmas, I pray that you would help us not to just uh, realize that you sent Jesus to be with us, but to recognize how you being with us changes our lives and calls us to something greater. Give us the courage and the boldness to, to step out. Give us the courage and the boldness to not settle for mediocre spiritual lives. Help us to see what you have given to us and what we can give away. Father God, I just pray that uh, if there are 
those here who, who don't actually know you, who have never given their lives to you, I pray, God, that you would call them to that today. I pray that you would use the power of your spirit to show them the truth about who you are and about who they are. God, we trust you. Help us to know you. Help us to see you. Help us to feel the joy and peace of the presence of Christ as we celebrate today. In Jesus' name, amen.